Welcome to the 77th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week two of the college football season, and recapping the first week of the NFL season. Let's jump right in with a quick look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. In Major League Baseball, Patrick went 1-3 in his series predictions. In NCAA football action, Patrick went 0-4. And in the NFL, Patrick split at 2-2. So Patrick was 3-9 overall in this weekend's predictions, bringing him to 169 and 136 overall, a 55.4% winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts on last weekend's predictions? Well, I'm only above 500 because of my record in the NCAA basketball uh, area, which is surprising because, as I said to you, I think it's the most unpredictable sport and yet I seem to have a pretty good record predicting the most unpredictable sport. However, uh, it is possible that this kind of uh, performance can continue in terms of the spiraling downward performance, but hopefully it doesn't. Uh, I think that really there were a few great series and close series that I can't really be mad about in the MLB, and then also the games in the NFL were also pretty interesting. Uh, really, the only blowout I picked was Arizona beating up on Tennessee. That was pretty much the only blowout I picked. Uh, But other than that, New England lost by one point, so that's a tough one to swallow. Uh, And then, you know, I picked NCAA teams. I picked all the teams to go two and two on the road. It's just that I picked every single team completely wrong. I picked Oregon to lose on the road, and I picked Iowa to lose on the road, and instead it was Texas, and it was BYU or Utah losing on the road. So, in the end, I'm not too satisfied with those results, but at the same time, I, I can deal with it moving forward, and as we've discussed, I might skip out on the MLB predictions moving forward, and maybe maybe you just, maybe even just talk about them on Fridays and not actually publish them earlier, because it seems that that information there is, uh, is never out. I mean, as I'll say, look, the Mets series was just really, really exciting. I'm not mad about picking that series wrong. I enjoyed watching every minute of it that I did. I got the Dodgers right. I was wrong about St. Louis. Uh, But Boston and Chicago, there were three starting pitching matchups, and every single one of them was completely wrong in terms of the way I read it on Thursday versus how it actually turned out. Connor Siebold made his debut for Boston in the middle of the series instead of Chris Sale pitching. Uh, Instead of Chris Sale, on Monday, or on Sunday, they picked... Somebody, they pitched somebody else, but I forget who. And instead of the starter for the White Sox in the deciding game of the series being an undecided pitcher, it was Cy Young candidate Lance Lynn. Uh, safe to say, would have picked differently if that's how I knew. Uh, but the NCAA was really the downfall this week. I've gone 1-3 in the MLB before, and I've 2-2 two and two in the NFL is fine. And, you know, one-point loss, loss at Arizona, or the Arizona loss is pretty ironic because I actually picked in my overall season predictions, I did pick Arizona to win that game uh, on the road because I thought there might be a week one letdown from the Titans with the new players. But funny enough, after I didn't do well in my NCAA predictions by predicting all the season, the season long predictions as the week one predictions, I changed it for this week and I got them wrong because of it. So, uh, you live and you learn. I'll, ma- I'll make it up next week. Uh, maybe some less interesting games, to be quite honest. And instead of the better team being on the road in most of the games, uh, it is the better team at home, which will make it easier for me, I will say. I- I'm sp- specifically thinking about Penn State-Auburn. Uh, but overall, obviously not a good week, but I'll bounce back. Yeah, and I think your decision to maybe skip MLB especially makes sense. Uh, 
as teams start fading from the playoff race and roster call Much less interesting who, series. Yeah, and who knows who's going to be pitching or. I mean, I'm I'm lucky that I had two that I had a wild a matchup of the two NL wild card teams that are contending, and then also the Padres, another the other contending team for the wild card against a division leader, and then two division leaders. Well, Boston's not a division leader, but pretty close to it uh, in the on in the AL. So I got lucky there, but. Yeah, the matchups might be a little less relevant when barely above 500 means you're way out of the playoff picture. Yep. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend, whether or not they include Major League Baseball, will be posted, as always, on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursdays. Let's now move on to our weekly look at college football. So, Patrick, let's start. Uh, what did you think were the best games of Week 2? I picked three for this week. Uh, I'm going to pick Oregon versus Ohio State. By the way, a lot of uh, my prediction games were supposed to be close, but two of them actually weren't so close, so I didn't end up putting them in this. But Oregon against Ohio State easily was the best game of the weekend. I think everybody will agree. That was a really fun game to watch, a really interesting game. Ohio State, I believe, gave up 500 yards, but also gained 600 yards, something like that. Uh, everybody thought that Oregon was going to be dead without Kayvon Thibodeau and, du- and Justin Flo on the road against Ohio State in Columbus. The last time Ohio State lost in Columbus was to Oklahoma when Baker Mayfield famously planted the OU flag in the middle of the Ohio State logo. And after this game, Oregon planted a rubber duck in the middle of the OSU logo on on uh, on the 50-yard line, which I think is, you know, a little less epic. But, uh, you know, it's a little less... Um, it has a little more uh, sportsmanship involved in it, so I'll take the rubber duck celebration for what it is. Uh, other than that, I picked BYU uh, to lose at Utah to lose against Utah. By the way, both of these games actually BYU had lost the last eight in this rivalry series against Utah, and Ohio State had been nine to zero against Oregon in their series history, including a win in the national championship game. Where Oregon fans are probably thinking, "Well, we got that one win one game too late because." They would rather win a national championship than a week two meaningless game. But at the same time, maybe this result can propel Oregon to a potential chance at a national championship later in the season. This is a pretty important win, a non-conference win that they needed uh, to really combat the fact that the Pac-12 normally has a pretty weak schedule and they don't really play enough teams to get into the playoff if they're competing against other undefeated teams. So a really great win for Oregon. Uh, and overall, just a really fun game. And then now I'll go back to what I started with. That BYU game was also really interesting. Uh, not really, I didn't really expect, the, I, I expected the game to be good, but I did not expect BYU to break the streak. I thought Utah has played BYU when BYU has had better teams and Utah has had worse teams. And Utah has still find a way, found a way to win it. And honestly, I was surprised that they had lost eight in a row because I remember some pretty good BYU teams. Although arguably the best BYU team recently was the one last year that didn't play Utah. Uh, obviously, it was Zach Wilson as the main player, obviously, the number two overall draft pick. But BYU pulled it out this year with the guy who was starting over Zach Wilson a few years ago. And regardless of how that stuff turned out, uh, you know, BYU gets the win. A really, really close game. And now you have Pitt with the win over Tennessee my the, the last game that I wanted to throw in here because it didn't really fit any of our other categories, but it was definitely a game worth talking about. 41-34, to 34, the win for Pitt uh, over Tennessee on the road. Uh, Joe Milton got injured in the second quarter of this game, which was pretty important, uh, the, the, a pretty big loss for Tennessee. And really just Pitt played well for the entire game and stayed in it. They were down early, but they kept in it. Uh, Tennessee had some dumb plays, including a penalty for a body slam 
But overall, Pitt played a great game to to keep in the game and to win the game. So uh, a great game by Pitt. All right. Well, what about your biggest upsets of the past week? I think the the first one is obvious. Stanford over USC, who was re- previously ranked number 14 in the country. Uh, Stanford coming off a loss to Kansas State by 17 points in a neutral site. And they win this game 42-28 to on the road in the Coliseum. It wasn't even Re- close. It, no, it was not. And it wasn't even 14. It was more like 21. And it, it got to 14 later on because of, uh, you know, the, the regular garbage time touchdown that, that always happens in the... Uh, in, in college football games and in NFL games, too, at the end of the game. Uh, but, I mean, does an upset get bigger than that? A number 14 losing at home to an unranked team that really is only supposed to win five, somewhere in between four and six games this year? The only thing bigger might be an F- FCS team beating a ranked team, which happened the week before. That did happen the week before, that is true. Um, and that was on the road, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the road for the FCS team, of course. Um, then I, I, I still I still have to go with Oregon over Ohio State. We talked uh, we talked a little bit about what happened in the game itself, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, that is a big upset. Uh, number three in the country going down to a non top ten ranked team at home is a big upset, regardless of how vulnerable everybody thinks Ohio State is. It is still Ohio State in Columbus, and again they had won twenty three straight games uh, at home. They'd played some great Michigan teams. They played some great Penn State teams. They played some great Michigan State teams, some great Wisconsin teams. Last year, a great Indiana team. And they hadn't lost since that game against Oklahoma. So clearly, Oregon deserves a lot of credit for that win. And obviously, not a good, not an easy place to win. But they pulled out the win, so obviously got to be on the biggest upsets. And a lot of credit, especially because their injuries on defense. They played without their best player and maybe their second best player on defense. So uh, credit to Oregon. What about your least surprising upsets or upset of the week? It's got to be Iowa over Iowa State. Definitely. I mean, I, I didn't pick it to happen, but I think that was the game that I flipped back and forth the most. And really, when it came down to it, right as I was about to put my predictions out, I was still really debating, like, who do I think is going to win this game? I don't really know. But uh, in, in the end, Iowa does win, but I think... A lot of people, maybe not in Vegas because Iowa State was favored. And by the way, the reason why it's still technically an upset is because Iowa was the lower-ranked team. They were 10th. Iowa State was 9th. Although, based on the rankings, I would bet you a bunch of people actually did have Iowa higher than Iowa State, um, especially after how Iowa State looked week one, you included. Um, But also, the point spread had Iowa State favored by four. And the home team was Iowa State. So... It was an upset. So it's an upset by all definitions, except for the fact that Iowa has won the last six games now in this rivalry game. So it's not the biggest upset, but uh, again, we're talking about least surprising. So I think it definitely fits into that category. All right. What were your most disappointing teams from last week? I mean, I got to go with Notre Dame, right? This team, (laughs) after the win against Florida State that looked so good and they looked, I mean, maybe they didn't look great on defense, but... They looked great on offense, and then all of a sudden Florida State loses to Jacksonville State. The win doesn't look as good, and also they only win by three against Toledo at home, 32-29. to Comeback win. That looks awful. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They gave up the game-winning touchdown with one and a half minutes left, and it didn't end up being the game-winning touchdown because they luckily were able to get down the field, but that's only because they were playing Toledo. Uh, Any other team probably would have stopped them there. So... 
a very interesting game there. Uh, yeah, just again, not good by Notre Dame whatsoever. Just, uh, again, awful play overall from them. Uh, although Jack Cohn might have become a Notre Dame legend from the play that he made uh, <laughs> with with his finger getting jammed and then him pulling it back in and then him getting it pulled back into place and throwing a touchdown a few plays later. Overall, a ridiculous, touchdown. yeah, the game-winning touchdown. Overall, a ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous effort by him. And by the way, he's probably been the best player on that team, I'd say, so far. Maybe except for Michael Myers' tight end, but he's not—he's new to that offense. So it's good. It's really good for them long term that he's been good because he would be the piece that you would think would struggle a little bit early and then get better as the season goes on. And obviously, he's also the most integral piece of the team because he's a starting quarterback. So. I think overall, Notre Dame can still take a few positives out of what's gone on, even though it wouldn't seem like it might be a positive thing, but still a disappointing performance this week. Uh, The next team I have to say is Iowa State throwing away that game against Iowa. They outgained Iowa by 166 yards and had 10 more first downs, lost by 10. Why? Four turnovers including a fumble on their own six-yard line, which resulted in a scoop-and-score, meaning that Iowa didn't even have to get on the field to score one of the touchdowns that pretty much won them the game in the end. So, look, they threw away that game. Iowa State had plenty of chances, and they were productive overall. But the turnovers killed them, and again, that's really disappointing from a team that you banked on as being good because of their experience everywhere. The experienced team is not supposed to be the one to make a bunch of turnovers at home to lose the game, not supposed to have dumb penalties, none of that. So a very disappointing performance by Iowa State also because they were favored in that game and they needed a win in that rivalry desperately. Uh, And then the third and last team that I would say was the most disappointing is Miami only winning by two against Appalachian State. Uh, We saw everybody talked about in in going into the Washington-Michigan game, which is not anywhere on here, so I'll mention it now. Uh... Washington, after losing to an FCS team, everybody was saying Michigan's got to watch out because Washington's going to come out and play really well after that disappointing loss. Miami should have done the same thing after losing by 30 to Alabama. However, they really folded, played barely better than they did last weekend against Alabama, to be quite honest. Just didn't play a good team, played App State, so it was still enough to be uh, to get the win. But they, they just did not have what it takes to be really even a top 20 team, let alone. I mean, they're definitely not top 15 like they were ranked before the season. Uh, and I'd start to question if they're top 25 at this point. So that was a really bad performance. And again, only winning by two against App State. They gave up a kick return touchdown after a field goal that they made to get a little bit of a cushion in their lead. So, I mean, overall, just a bad performance by Miami there. Uh, not what you expect after to, to, when you're expecting the bounce back after a bad week. All right, well, let's now look at the positive and talk about the most impressive teams. I think by far the number one team I have to go with is Arkansas with a 19-point win over Texas, 40-21 to 21 at home. Regardless of if it's at home, regardless of how good Texas may or may not be, uh, I talked about Louisiana maybe beating them week one, but clearly that game proved that they have some, that, that they have some talent on that team at Texas. Uh, but they just couldn't go on the road and win against an SEC team. And by the way, a little bit of a forecast for the future because they're going to have to figure out how to do that in the next five years because, let's be honest, Arkansas isn't LSU. They aren't Ole Miss. They aren't Auburn. They aren't Alabama. They aren't A&M. They aren't Florida. They aren't Georgia. I just named seven teams better than Arkansas. Good luck winning a conference game if you can't beat Arkansas. I think it's that simple. So 
Texas has got to figure it out long-term, but also short-term. That just wasn't a very good performance by them. And uh, I just think that when you look at it, um, Arkansas played really well. I mean, they didn't have any real individual guys who carried the game. They just played a good team game, had some almost pretty stupid mistakes at the beginning of the game. They muffed a punt on their own five-yard line, and they got lucky But that by really the color of a, of a, Nike, sh- of a Nike cleat, uh, they called the, the guy who recovered the muffed punt out on Texas on the five-yard line of Arkansas. That would have been the first score in the game, most likely. Uh, instead, instead of, the, instead of that momentum and having that lead, they play in playing from behind. They end up playing from even ground and eventually take the lead and just keep rolling and keep scoring. So really impressed by Arkansas, although I'm not ready to start crowning them as a top 15 team. I'm not. Th- this win was definitely not maybe as impressive as like a UCLA over LSU when you also have that first week on paper. It was definitely less of a clean win. Uh, so they, they deserve some credit, but I'm not going to crown them as, as, as one of the better teams yet. They're a good team. The other most impressive team, we already talked about the game, but uh, BYU over Utah, again, just winning a rivalry game that they haven't won in a while. I have to put them there, and obviously Oregon goes in that same category too, but I'm not going to rehash those games. So those two definitely deserve the credit too, but I already gave them the credit. So So how about we give some credit to the most impressive players? I have to go with Stetson Bennett as uh, the offensive player here. Uh, actually, surprisingly, I, I will say, tied a school record at Georgia for touchdown passes in a game with five. Uh, not surprising that, uh, well, surprising A, that he did it, but really surprising that five was a school record. But you know what? He tied a school record, so I'll give him that. But also, how many guys have tied school records for passing touchdowns on less than 12 throws? I, I think he's got to be one of the first. There, somebody could probably check that, but... For passing touchdown records that are over over maybe three, I can almost guarantee that no one else has done it on twelve throws or less. It's just not. It's no. It's nowhere near any throws. And if your record is a decent number, a sizable number, most likely that was in a game where they threw a lot because they were having success with it, and that's how they ended up with so many touchdowns. Uh, but twenty two hundred eighty eight yards on ten of twelve completion, obviously. 86% is pretty ridiculous, but 12 throws, five touchdowns. It's just really, really quick, efficient performance. And by the way, the whole Georgia defense deserves some credit too for making that game so easy that 12 throws could net you five touchdowns. Uh, but really all of them are just giant plays, giant chunk plays for touchdowns. And then on defense, I'm going to go with Iowa's Matt Hankins. Four tackles, two interceptions. Those two interceptions really sealed the deal for Iowa. Uh, I was looking for someone who might have had the turnovers for them. I I, I was maybe going to do the, the guy who got the scoop and score, but I decided because Hankins had two interceptions, I would give it to him instead. That was pretty much the biggest game of the week, though, so unless I was going to give it to someone from Oregon, that was pretty much the way I had to go. All right, and who had the best road win? Stanford. You win 42-28 to on the road, and you get a coach he- and you get a head coach fired. I think there's no way, I think there's in no other better, of a in week two of a season, <laughs> I think there's no other better way to get a road win than to literally get the other team's coach fired. Uh, sorry, USC, uh, and look, Clay Helton's out of a job now, but I-, I will say, close seconds for Iowa and Oregon, obviously, but again, I've talked about those games enough already, so I figured I might as well 
uh, talk about the Stanford one. Okay, and then any overall takeaways from across college football from week two? I think I have four conferences in the Power Five that really had at least somewhat of an impression from this week. Uh, the Pac-12, I, I said, will be decent. I don't think this is a down year for them, but I also don't think it's a great year for them because while you have USC or UCLA kind of coming out of nowhere and you have Colorado putting up a good performance against Texas A&M, even though they lost, you can take it with a grain of salt because Colorado was playing against backup quarterback, missed opportunities to win that game easily. It was at home. Washington got killed by Michigan, so that's not a good look for a team that was ranked uh, preseason in that conference. Uh, Stanford looks good, but they also lost to Kansas State by a lot in week one, so I'm not so sure if that's bad USC or good Stanford. It's really hard to tell. Oregon obviously makes this easily at least a decent year for the Pac-12, just because this is the best team the Pac-12 has had probably since Washington made the playoff. I think and it's fair to say that maybe with the only exception of Oregon with Justin Herbert three years ago uh, that lost their playoff chances on just one loss as the playoff tends to uh, happen. And that's kind of how it works in college football that the one loss kind of ends your season if it's late in the season. But we'll have to see if this team can avoid that late season loss and get to the place where they thought Justin Herbert could take them to the playoff. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm willing to crown them yet, and obviously USC on the on the down, down trending down for the rest of the season. Yeah, that that UCLA Oregon matchup on uh, October 23rd at the Rose Bowl all of a sudden becomes a key national marquee game and could determine uh, a, the end of a playoff road for somebody else and a huge stepping stone for another team. All right, uh, what other takeaways do you have? I think the next conference I have to go to is the Big Ten. I think there are now three teams in contention for the best team uh, by virtue of Ohio State's loss this weekend. I think Iowa has proven with their wins so far, the only team with two ranked wins, I'm pretty sure. And by the way, both of them top 20 wins, actually top 17 if you want to be really exact. The win over Indiana was dominant 34-6, and then this win, 27-17, sure, but I mean, Iowa State got a a touchdown that was not really a garbage time touchdown, but near the end of the game, and also Iowa controlled the game, and it was on the road, and Iowa State was in the top 10. Uh, So then you have to question... Where is Iowa in relation to Ohio State, who just lost to a team ranked number 12 heading into the week? Maybe Oregon's better than 12. I think, what, they're ranked fourth now. So I think everybody's come to the consensus that they are better than an outside of the top 10 team. But at the same time, they were outside of the top 10 until they beat Ohio State. And by the way, Penn State is now ranked right under Ohio State in the AP poll at 11. So they could be also the best team there. Iowa is the highest ranked right now, but... That's really just because two games in, nobody has any anywhere near the wins that Iowa does with those two ranked wins and one of them being a road win. So that's really a resume thing. I don't know the talent level. It, it's possible that, again, Penn State might end up better. And by the way, maybe if they beat up on Auburn by a lot, then they move ahead of a team like Iowa. They would probably move ahead of Ohio State. That game this weekend. Yeah. Uh, that's it for the Big Ten, though. But uh, I think the SEC is the next conference way, 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 way better than even the overhyped expectations every year that they get because they have number one and number two, and it's not very close who number three, and it's not close with number three, to be quite honest. Uh, Oklahoma looked pretty bad week one, and Georgia has that great win over Clemson, so 
until Oklahoma maybe demolishes an Iowa State, I think there's no competition for who's number one and who's number two. I think Alabama's easily number one, although I think I think Georgia actually did get a number one vote from one of the writers. But probably, or from a writer, I was going to say it's probably Nick Saban if it was the coaches. Well, it, it was <laughs> that is true because he seems to hate his team even though they win by fifty every single week. But that's a different discussion. Uh, but yeah, Georgia, Alabama, number one and number two. You can't get better than that. Arkansas is now ranked out of nowhere. Uh, you also have Auburn, who can maybe prove themselves with a win at Penn State. That would be a huge, huge statement from the SEC. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, sure, LSU is down, but I think it's really more just that UCLA was actually that good and had that week going in beforehand, too. They had that advantage. Uh, everybody talks about the biggest improvement for every team is week one and week two. Uh, LSU didn't have that. UCLA did, and they had the home te- and they had the home crowd. So uh, LSU, I think, will be just fine. Ole Miss is obviously a very easy top 20 team, and even though Florida hasn't looked great, they're still a top 15 team, I think, pretty pretty safely. So, overall, a lot of good teams in the SEC, and by the way, more teams can kind of come out and play even better down the, down the stretch. If Arkansas can pull a win off of Texas, maybe Missouri, maybe Kentucky, uh, maybe one of them can be pretty good, too. And you didn't even mention Texas A&M, who did, as you, as you mentioned earlier... Uh, did did gut out a win at Colorado right. despite having a backup quarterback and making like a fumble in the end zone all right. that kind of stuff. I so, think they're right about where where I thought their season expectations were the though. SEC, yeah. yeah, and also I think they have some easy games at the beginning of that conference schedule, so they, they'll they'll be more of a trending topic later in the middle of the mid to late part of the season. The last thing is the Big Twelve's not looking great. Uh, Texas that lost to Arkansas looks awful, and that's supposed to be the second best team in the conference. Well, the third best team in the conference. Iowa State lost to a Big Ten team who, before that game, was probably decided as the third best team in the Big Ten, maybe now up there in the conversation for number one or number two. But at the same time, Iowa State's supposed to be number two in the Big 12, so they should beat a team like Iowa, especially at home, a rivalry game, too. They didn't show out well at all. Uh, Those four turnovers just really don't reflect well. And by the way, you also have Oklahoma State, who's the other team that's ranked outside of Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma, and by the way, Texas is no longer ranked after that loss. They only beat Tulsa by five at home. So not interesting, not not great performances. Obviously, okay, sure, Oklahoma scored like eighty this weekend. Yeah, after so week Oklahoma is Oklahoma. But yes, they barely beat they barely won in week one. So you come back with the eighty point win after that week one almost not not really almost lost, but close too close, too close for comfort yeah. game. It's not looking good for the Big 12. I think the Pac-12 might actually have a better conference this year, but only this year. All right, well, that wraps up our look at college football Week 2 action. Uh, The NFL season kicked off this past week, and so we kick off our weekly review of the NFL next. So, Patrick, keeping kind of with the rhythm we had with college football, let's talk about the best games of NFL Week 1. We talked about Tampa Bay and Dallas already. That was obviously a really great game to kick off the season, but I'm not going to... Not going to go over that game again, seeing as how we already talked about it. I'm going to start with the morning games. Let's start with Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Really, I mean, maybe not, maybe not the most interesting game at 23 to 16 in terms of the score. It wasn't the greatest game, but it was still pretty entertaining. Uh, Josh Allen and the Bills took a 10 nothing lead with 25 seconds left in the second quarter. And Pittsburgh really didn't look back from there. They blocked a punt and scored a touchdown off of that. Deontay Johnson had a great catch off of a tipped ball. So overall, you're looking at some pretty, pretty, pretty good performances uh, by by Pittsburgh. And look, as they said, it wasn't flashy, but they don't need to be flashy. They just need to be able to beat good teams, unlike the team that lost five of their last six games and a playoff game at the end of the year last year. So a good win for Pittsburgh to start the season. 
The next one was not between great teams, but Cincinnati and Minnesota played the first game, played the first overtime game of the season, and almost tied. Uh, Cincinnati had to kick an almost 50-yard field goal with time expiring to prevent a tie in this game. Although Cincinnati does get that all-important win. Time expiring in overtime. Yeah, time expiring in overtime. But uh, again, you know, Cincinnati's probably not going to contend for a division. But some wins under Joe Burrow's belt are nice to get. You need that confidence going forward that you can win some big games. And that's that's a pretty good confidence booster to win that overtime game, to get the drive, to get it into, to get it into position after some questionable decisions, going for it on fourth and one on their own 30-yard line that gifted the Vikings a touchdown uh, and basically sent the game to overtime earlier. Then I got to go with San Francisco at Detroit. This game was a blowout for half the game. But then Detroit came storming back with three touchdowns at the end of the game to close the deficit all the way from 41 to 10, all the way, or 38 to 10, I think, all the way down to 41 to 33 at the end of the game, all the way until Jared Goff had an opportunity on the last play of the game to throw the ball in the end zone from 20 yards out, just didn't get it in the end zone. You never know what happens when you just throw the ball up anywhere. Uh, he didn't. He, it didn't even reach, I think, the 10-yard line. But still, an interesting game that shouldn't have been won and, and very, very exciting, I mean, to just think, okay, yeah, the game's over, 49ers lines. I'm not watching that game. And then all of a sudden, you see one touchdown, and you go, oh, okay, garbage time touchdown. Then they get another one. Then they get an onside kick, and you go, wait a minute. This game might actually turn out <laughs> in an interesting way. And by the way, Debo Samuel has the game ceiling first down, and he fumbles instead of going down uh, with the ball. So a really interesting game there that really shouldn't have been very interesting. Um, then you got to go with two really, really good teams, or four really, really good teams with two really, really good games. Miami and New England, 17-16 in the battle of Tua and Mack, the former Alabama starter and the former Alabama starter, and at some point, the former Alabama starter and backup. Uh, but 17-16, Miami wins that game. Just, you know, a good back-and-forth battle between two good teams, uh, and we'll see how that maybe impacts the AFC wildcard race and divisional and, and AFC East divisional race by the end of the season. Uh, then you have Kansas City at Cle- versus Cleveland. That was a great game just in general, a four-point win by Kansas City. Uh, the best way to describe it is just that the Browns played perfect except for a botched punt, a botched snap on a punt and one interception, and Kansas City still won the game. Uh Cleveland can't play much better than that, and yet they lose this game. Yes, it's on the road. Maybe they could have inflicted some more uh, mistakes by Kansas City if it was at home, but you got to give credit to Kansas City for somehow powering through this performance that the Browns had, and also, if you're a Browns fan, you still have to be excited for the rest of the season because this was a really, really good performance against, as we know, a really, 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 really good team. Yeah, and then uh, the game that uh, capped off the week, Monday Night Football, was just a ridiculous game. But, uh, a 33-27 overtime win by the Raiders over the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, just a crazy game. There's not really words to describe it. It's, I'm speechless. I mean, obviously the game just ended because otherwise you know we wouldn't be able to be recording this right now. But uh, it, just a ridiculous game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just crazy. So Yeah, glad the Raiders won after they uh, thought they'd won it in overtime and just all kinds of craziness happened. Yeah. So good for the Raiders getting that win. All right, let's move to your most disappointing teams of the weekend in the NFL. There's two teams that are easily ahead of the others, but then there's a third kind of nominee there. Tennessee losing by 25 at home to Arizona is just an awful result. They couldn't get the run game going. They allowed Chandler Jones to absolutely go crazy. He had the best game of his career, his very, very long career. 
And at the same time, that wasn't really the worst performance of the week because actually the worst performance of the week, Tennessee got 13 points and gave up 38. Green Bay gave up 38 and only got three. Yeah, that was awful. Against the Saints, but by the way, not actually on the road, at TIAA Bank Stadium in Jacksonville, not even in the Superdome. So the Saints don't have their home... I mean, they had their home fans. They had home field advantage, but actually they didn't have home field advantage. They had home fan advantage in a different on a different field. In a different state. In a different stadium. And they just let Jameis Winston go off. I think it's that simple. Uh, Kamara also had a great game, as always. The Saints defense just had Aaron Rodgers running around the whole game and just not playing well overall. So, you, look, Green Bay was bad. I think there's that's the only way to put it. They were just bad overall. They really couldn't get anything going. And then the last team, Atlanta, not as bad as the other ones, although maybe you could argue it is a winnable game for them to start the season. They have the veteran quarterback playing against a former second-round pick who's really who was doubted as the starter uh, all of last season and then into this year. Jalen Hurts against Philadelphia at home. They lose 32-6 to in the season opener in a pretty winnable game. If the game had been close, I wouldn't be talking about it. But they're supposed to be better than Philadelphia. And they lost by so much. They just did not have anything going for them in this game. So they got to be on here just because of that. All right. Well, what about your most impressive teams? Uh, on the flip side of the Tennessee game, you have Arizona over over Tennessee Really just looked great in all in all facets of the game. Their defense was surprisingly good to me. Uh, Kyler Murray was good as always. DeAndre Hopkins was good as always. The other receivers pitched in when they needed to. The running back core looked pretty good now with Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Conner had, I think, about 50 or so yards, uh, and Chase Edmonds also had 50 or so, but also a lot of receptions. So overall, they got a pretty good duo there going, and I mean, if that defense is able to play like that, that offense will back them up all season. That could be a really scary team. The, the, the defense, obviously, not not necessarily a weakness, but definitely the weaker half of that team. So a really impressive performance by Arizona. On the flip side of another game we talked about, the Saints, regardless of what happened with Green Bay and maybe the distractions that might have caused that, they played a great game and they deserve credit for that win. They really killed Green Bay. Uh, the last two, uh, I'll go with Cleveland. Two AFC teams. Uh, I'll go with Cleveland. Even in a loss, as I said, they played a nearly perfect game, and that's something that I feel like they just haven't had reason. I mean, they've had the talent for so long now, uh, two re- two years really, but they just never really put it together. And I feel like this season already, it feels different. And that first game was them putting it together really, really well, even in that loss. And then Pittsburgh, after all the talk in the offseason, everybody overlooking them. To go in and get a win over the team who's supposed to finish second in the AFC is a very huge statement at the beginning of the year. Also running counter to the fact that the Ravens couldn't get a tough road win at the Raiders. And even though they played well, nor did Cleveland. So now you have Pittsburgh at the top of the AFC North. Uh, so very... Cincinnati. Yeah, very... I mean, and by the way, that's an easy tie to break. Yeah. So uh, a pretty good start for Pittsburgh. And as we talked about on, on Friday's edition of the podcast... These games are important in the long run because if you can sneak out a win against a, a team on your level, it will mean a long. It will go a long way for you later in the season when you're looking at every single team at eleven and seven or at eleven and six and at twelve and five. To have that one extra win is really really important, and that's what Pittsburgh got. All right. Well, who are your most impressive players in Week One? 
I think I mentioned him already, but Chandler Jones with six tackles, five sacks, four tackles for a loss, and two forced fumbles. Obviously, he leads the league in forced fumbles after week one, and obviously, he also leads the league in sacks. So, a really, really crazy week, and as we said, this was this performance by Arizona was all-out dominant, but really, if Chandler Jones wasn't there, if you take away those five sacks and the four tackles for loss and the two forced fumbles, probably could have ended up as a close game, but his performance... I mean, he stole the spotlight from J.J. Watt, that's for sure. Uh, Chandler Jones was the story of the weekend, in my opinion. And, I mean, I was wondering if that was even anywhere close to the NFL sacks record in a, in a game. Apparently it isn't, but it's got to be pretty close. I think the record is probably seven, I think, is what I found out. But uh, the other one I have to go with is Matt Stafford. Uh, in his debut, really, really efficient. 20 of 26, debut 321 yards, three touchdowns. Again, super, super efficient in his, in his Rams debut. And also, another interesting fact, the Rams had two touchdowns of above 50 yards all of last year, two in that game alone. So the explosive plays that the Rams needed that Jared Goff just really couldn't make, he could definitely con- command the offense to a playoff run, but not to a Super Bowl run anymore, I don't think. Matt Stafford might give the Rams that finally, although I'm, I'm not going to call it too early. All right, what team had the best road win in the NFL? We talked about it already, but Pittsburgh over Buffalo. Uh, more surprising than Arizona winning, but maybe the mar- maybe not the margin, obviously, that Arizona won by. That that almost pushed me to say Arizona. But picking one, Pittsburgh, just because of all the narratives around the preseason with them, uh, I think this was an important win for them to take. All right, and finally, any other overall takeaways from uh, NFL Week 1 action? The NFC West is the best. Uh, there's, there's nothing like it. Uh, even even you could argue the AFC North, maybe if the Ravens had won that game, they, they go up there in that argument a little bit more. But because they lost and because the Browns couldn't pull out a close game, Pittsburgh's win at Buffalo probably cements the AFC North as the best division in the AFC. Uh, although, when you look at it, you know who beat the AFC North this weekend? The AFC West did. Uh, the Chiefs beat the Browns, and the Raiders beat the Ravens. So, overall... Maybe you lean AFC West for a second, but I think the battle is between the, the North and the West for the second-best divisions in terms of the AFC and o- overall. Uh, but the NFC West went 4-0 and this weekend, and it wasn't like they were playing bad teams. Sure, the Bears aren't great, but they're a decent team. The Rams played them. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, the Lions are pretty bad, so the 49ers win was not that impressive. But by the way, the Seahawks got a road win at the Colts, and Arizona got a road win against the Titans, so... They beat the top two in the other in, in a different division in the AFC, so that's a really good look for the NFC West. And overall, I think we already knew that they would have probably all four teams in the playoffs with the new with the new format. Uh, and then, what are the Packers in the NFC North doing? Zero four, Week One. The Vikings lose to the Bengals. The Packers get demolished by the Saints. The Bears were probably maybe the best look out of any team. I don't want to give credit to the Lions just because they scored all their touchdowns in garbage time, but when you look at it, they had the smallest margin of defeat out of any of these teams other than the Vikings, but they played by far the worst team out of the out of the four teams of that division. So I have no I have no doubts that long term the Packers will be better, but the NFC North's gotta figure it out. That was a pretty bad week to start the season. Yeah, well it is only week one and there's still sixteen weeks left in this expanded uh seventeen week NFL season. All right, that wraps up our look back at the NFL. It also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. So please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, September 24th, where we will have our weekly analysis of Major League Baseball action 
and talk about other important news from the world of sports. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his predictions for the entire college football and NFL seasons, along with the second installment of our college football top, 24, top 25 poll that will be published on Tuesday, and Patrick's MLB Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.